0: Today we're going to be continuing our series in the New Testament book of James, a series that we've entitled Faith That Works, we're going to be reading today from chapter two. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open that up. If you're unsure where it is, it's okay, you can use the index or go right to the back and then come back in by about 50 pages and you'll be more or less there. Today as we come to these verses in chapter 2. I I need to warn you that these are not easy verses. Actually, they're verses that may well make us feel a little uncomfortable today as we read them. And I know it's a risk preaching a passage like this, in in fact, preaching a series like this uh, while we're not physically meeting together because actually the truth is, is that it's even easier to switch this off than it is to stand up and walk out of a meeting if you decide you don't like what I'm saying. I know that you could opt out today. You could go online and find another talk elsewhere that might feel more palatable. But I want to encourage you to stay. I want to encourage you to listen. Because actually, I want what's best for you. And this message, these words, this passage of Scripture is too important for us to ignore. Scripture contains many encouragements for us and those are great and we hold on to those at times like this. They are so heartening and strengthening but Scripture also contains within it, like the verses we'll read today, many warnings. And um, We can't just skip past those or gloss over them or ignore them. We ignore them at our peril. And so today we're going to read and we're going to press in and seek to understand and apply these words today. So we're reading from James chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through to 26. Uh, and the way we're going to do this is we'll read a little bit, we'll pause, unpack that section and seek to apply it, and then we'll move on to the next. And as we read we'll see that James's concern here in these verses is what sort of faith people who profess to be Christians have. And so we're going to read together from verse 14 and let's see what he says. So James starts by saying this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? James immediately asks two questions about a kind of faith that has no deeds, a kind of faith that has no impact on the way you live. He asks these two questions of it. He says, what good is it and can it save? And the answer is none whatsoever. It's of no use, it's no good. And no, it can't save And James is now going to spend the rest of the passage that we're looking at today addressing that truth and illustrating it. We read on from verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead straight away james illustrates how ridiculous it is to say that faith without works is possible by using this example of a hungry friend a fellow christian who's in need and you simply say a A blessing, a a platitude, some nice words, a few pious words. You know, God look after you, keep you safe, be blessed, be warm, be fed. But if you do nothing to help them, if you do nothing to care for their physical need, to to feed them, to, to provide for them in their need, then your words are hollow. Your words are meaningless. In the same way, faith that is just words, just lip service, is meaningless. James says, it's dead. It can't save you and it won't save you. People who claim to be Christians but fail to help poverty-stricken believers are in fact not saved. You can dance around it and try to spin it you can do all manner of things you can dress it up however you like and try to explain it away but this passage clearly teaches as does the rest of scripture that if you profess to be a Christian and yet you ignore those around you in need you're just consumed with self-interest looking after number one and doing nothing to help Your brothers and sisters, that just shows in your actions that you're not truly a Christian. Right now, in the middle of this pandemic, if you claim to be a Christian, but you're just self absorbed, looking out for number one, showing no concern for the welfare of those outside of your family, of others in your community then these verses are a healthy check for you today. This is a wake-up call. What state is your heart before God? What kind of faith have you got? We read on. We get to verse 18. that says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, here we have an imaginary questioner who pushes to the other extreme. Says, Well, it doesn't matter so much what you believe, you know, but it's what you do, it's how you behave you will meet plenty of people who will teach that. Who will say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's just all about being kind. That's what it's all about. Well, James, to be honest, is not really picky about whether you believe in faith alone or deeds alone. He's not really picky about whether you go for faith without works and you do nothing to help your fellow man or whether you believe that it's just all about doing good things and it doesn't really matter what you believe James says neither is of any use and separating them as though they're contradictory or even equal alternatives is nonsense show me, demonstrate to me exhibit your faith without deeds it's not possible He's insistent that the two belong together. Faith and deeds to be of any use must go hand in hand. That genuine saving faith will always inevitably result in actions. That genuine faith is faith that works. He says, I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is evidenced in what we do. It flows out of what we believe. Out of the overflow of our hearts, we speak and we act. Professed faith without evidence in the way we live is dead faith. But good works without faith are also futile and can't save you either, ultimately, because all the good works will never be enough. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. We all need forgiveness. We all need a savior. We all need to look to and find our hope, our salvation in Jesus. There is no other way. Well, James, that unpacks this futile and useless faith a bit more when he says this in verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He says that this sort of faith is the faith that even demons have. I don't know about you, but I don't really want my faith to be likened to that of demons. James is writing to readers from a, a Jewish background who would have traditionally daily said the words there is one god. They would have daily declared that truth and James says good. <laughs> That's true. That's right. This is a, a core belief. It doesn't get more straight down the line and essential than that. You you've got to believe that. That's true. Sound doctrine. And then he kind of says, but the demons are good theologians. That doesn't result in good works or salvation. You see, you can know about God. You can know the right answers. But having a good theology, having a solid academic understanding of the Bible and what it teaches won't save you. Simply believing in the existence of God will not save you. Even the devil has that kind of faith. In fact, what's more is the demons know that truth and they shudder. Actually, they fear God, which is more than some men do. But it's no good to them. It's not faith that works. Let's read on. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You know, like James isn't done with us yet. <laughs> He's like, if you don't get it yet, I guess I'm going to have to explain it some more. From verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's take Abraham first. See, it would be all very well for Abraham to say, yes, God, I trust you. But if he hadn't done as God asked, he would have demonstrated that this simply wasn't true. It was just hollow words. God asked him to sacrifice his son, his only son. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, and this boy, Isaac, was the way in which that was gonna begin happening. That Abraham's descendants would be too numerous to count, and that in his very old age he had had one son, a miracle baby that defied biology, and God asked him to sacrifice him. God was testing Abraham's faith. Did Abraham really trust God that God would keep his promises, that he would make Abraham a great nation? Was Abraham's faith genuine? Well, Abraham took his son up the mountain and was ready to go through with it. And God said, stop. And provided a ram in the place of Isaac. You see, Abraham, if he had refused to obey God, it would have revealed that his faith was not sincere. Actually, his trust wasn't really in God and, and God's promises. That he didn't believe God's word to be true and trustworthy. That he had put his trust in something else as higher than God's word. That his faith was not sincere but, as it happened, <laughs> Abraham's faith was genuine and his obedience proved, it evidenced the fact that he trusted God, that his faith was faith that worked. James then talks to us about Rahab. (laughs) Rahab was a prostitute. She was not an Israelite, she was not one of God's people but when she saw that God was with his people she declared that the God of Israel was the only one true God, and she acted accordingly. Out of fear of God and obedience to God, rather than fear of an earthly king, she helped the Israelites to win a great victory. It's an amazing story, actually. You, you should go read it. You find it in Joshua chapter 2. It's remarkable. James uses these two examples, Abraham and Rahab. He picks people at opposite ends of the spectrum as far as his first readers would have been concerned. You see, they could have read about Abraham and gone, well, yeah, of course, Abraham, yeah, but of course. I mean, he's a special case. I mean, Abraham's the father of our faith, the patriarch. We, like, of course, Abraham. But then James brings in Rahab too, a foreigner, an idolater, a prostitute, but by the grace of God included in, by the grace of God counted righteous. James is at pains to point out that that this is true for everyone who responds to God in faith, faith that works. Now there's a story about a man called Charles Blondin a famous French typewriter walker, and it actually is a great illustration of what true faith really means—the kind of faith that James is actually talking to us about. Blondin's great fame came in September 1860, when he became the first person to stretch a type 11,000 feet, or a quarter of a mile, across the mighty Niagara Falls. People from Canada and America came from miles around to see this great feat as Blondin crossed the falls on a tightrope. He walked across 160 feet above the falls, a quarter of a mile, several times there and back with different daring feats. He did it in a sack. He did it on stilts. He did it on a bicycle. He did it in the dark. He did it blindfolded. One time he even carried a stove with him and cooked an omelette in the middle. A large crowd was gathered. (laughs) A buzz of excitement ran along the edges of the river. The crowd oohed and aahed as Blondin performed these amazing feats. On one occasion, he, taking one dangerous step after another, pushed a wheelbarrow full of a sack of potatoes across the falls. And after doing it successfully, he asked for a volunteer from the crowd. The crowd's applause was deafening for what he'd done, and he asked them... Do you believe I could take a man across the falls in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd roared back in response. Yes, of course you can. You're the great Blondin. Of course you can do it. You're the best tightrope walker to have ever lived. Of course you can. Look at all the other amazing things you've done. We believe you can do it. We believe. And Blondin responded, okay. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? As far as the Blondin story goes, no one took him up on his offer. You see, true faith in Blondin's ability would have meant acting on it. Would have meant getting ill in the wheelbarrow. Demonstrating that you really did believe that he could do it it's all very well for me to say I have faith in God. But when it's tested, what's the fruit? Am I all in? Am I prepared to walk in obedience to God, whatever the cost? Because that, James says, is what faith looks like. Being a follower of Jesus should have an impact on the way you live. It should have an impact on the decisions you make, the way you treat others, the way you spend your money and your time. Jesus himself said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. There'll be an observable difference in your life if you follow me. In Matthew 7, we read that Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father in heaven. He said, if you dwell in me, you will bear fruit in keeping with that. It will be noticeable. What Jesus taught and what James is saying here is that if We have received grace. If we have truly encountered God in Christ Jesus, then the natural outworking is that it will make a difference in our lives, in our choices, in our priorities. When you encounter Jesus, everything changes. If I was to tell you that on my way here today to deliver this message, I crossed the road. Uh, and as I crossed the road, you know, it's a 60 limit out there. As I crossed the road, I was hit at 50 miles per hour by a HGV. Like, you know, it hurt, but I'm okay. It's, it's all right, I'm okay. You would not believe me, would you? You would not believe me. You would call me a liar. You would say, that cannot possibly have happened. Just look at you. That can't possibly have happened. You would look different if you had been hit by a HGV at 50 miles per hour. It would be obvious. Well, James is, in effect, saying the same here. If you're telling me that you've encountered Jesus that you've met the glorious king of heaven, the creator of all things, if you're telling me that you've found forgiveness in him, if you're telling me that you've found new life and hope and freedom in him and your life doesn't look any different, your life doesn't bear the marks of that, I don't believe you. That's what James is saying. So many people profess to be Christians because they once prayed a prayer, or because they turn up to church every week, or because they read their Bible sometimes. Jim says, What kind of faith do you really have? Does it make a difference? Faith in Jesus changes everything. We read in the Bible that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. If you are a Christian, your life should look like you are. It should be observable. So where does that leave us? Well... Firstly, you might be listening to this and you're a Christian. And in the same way that I've felt challenged this week as I've prepared, you might be sat there thinking, and I know my faith doesn't always find its way out in actions. I know I can be like that person in the passage who sees a friend in need and, and says the right thing. You know, maybe I shoot back a, a message on WhatsApp like praying. <laughs> but I don't actually do anything to help. And this, as we read, could leave you thinking like, oh, help, am I even a Christian? Or it could leave you thinking, oh man, I need to knuckle down and try harder, like I've got to up my game. But the truth is that neither response is necessarily the right one. You see, we're not expected to be perfect. But to be growing in fruit, to be growing more like Jesus, to desire to do God's will, I guess my question is is, are you growing? Have you changed? Is there evidence in your life that you have found hope and freedom in Christ Jesus? Does your faith work? or would no one be able to tell the difference? By the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. I can look back, and sometimes Jenny and I have these conversations about actually how much God has changed my life, changed my attitudes, changed my priorities, changed the the things that I'm okay with and not okay with. Things I used to be quite comfortable with doing and saying and watching, and I'm not anymore. Where perhaps I could be more callous towards people in need and distance myself from them. Increasingly, I find it harder to do that. Increasingly, I find myself moved by compassion. To want to do something, to intervene, to help where I can help. Now I've got a long, long way to go. I've got a long way to go. I'm more aware of that than ever. That's the funny thing. See, I can look back and have these conversations with Jenny and go, guys, it's amazing what God's done in my life, how He's changed me, how He's I know he's at work in me, changing me more and more into his likeness. But yet, even though I feel like I've grown so much, I look at my life and I'm so aware that I've got such a long way to go. I fall so far short. I am so much not like Jesus. But I am growing. I want to ask, are you growing? Is there a fight? in you to live for God or are you just content to go on living however you please with no reference to God's will and God's ways if there's a desire in you to live in a way that pleases God if there's a fight that's a good thing so how do we grow? how do I grow? what do I do with the knowledge that I don't always get it right that my life doesn't always seem to evidence my faith where do I go with that? well the answer is to keep coming back to the cross. The answer is to keep coming back to Jesus, to keep coming back to repentance when we fall short, to keep coming back and finding forgiveness in him. If your faith isn't working, the answer is not to beat yourself up, but the answer is to delight yourself in God, to daily and consistently remind yourself of his goodness, of his love for you, to remind yourself that because of Jesus, you have a hope and a future, and to allow that to motivate you to live for him, to ask him to fill you with his spirit and to help you walk in step with him. Day by day, you'll begin to bear fruit accordingly. The grace of God unburdens us, it frees us from the burden of believing that we have to earn our salvation we simply can't do that it's a weight we can't bear but the grace of god doesn't remove from us the need to do anything (laughs) but amazingly it energizes us to work out our salvation it brings about a change in us that causes us to want to work with all our might with every ounce of effort it doesn't it doesn't breed in us apathy and complacency when we understand the grace of God it compels us it drives us it motivates us to want to live out of thankfulness and out of gratitude to what God's done for us it energizes us and motivates us to want to live in a manner that pleases him to live for the good of others and the glory of God We're gonna sing in a moment to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus. If you know that your faith hasn't been working, that your life isn't bearing fruit, I wanna encourage you to use this song as an opportunity to come back to him. Repent, if you need to repent. Turn your back on sin and ask him to forgive you. Declare again your need of him. Ask him to fill you afresh with his spirit and rest again in the finished work of Jesus. Allow it to motivate you to go into this week and to live for the good of others and the glory of God. Perhaps you've listened to this today and you're not a Christian, but you're thinking, you know what? I do pretty well. Maybe you identify with James's Uh, imaginary questioner who says you know well you've got faith but i've got works and you think i'm not a bad person like i've got works i'm i'm volunteering as part of the community response team in this pandemic i've been taking prescriptions to my neighbors i'm like i'll have you know like you've got faith i've got works i want to be clear with you those are good things Thank you for helping, but that won't earn you salvation. It won't earn you relationship with God. It won't earn you eternity with him. The Bible is very clear. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, even the very best, even the most dedicated servant of others moral performance cannot get you close to God all have sinned and the wages of sin is death what we receive for rejecting God the giver of life is separation from God and, and if we reject the giver of life what do we receive instead death but the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. To be separate from God means eternity cut off from him and all that is truly good. God doesn't want you separate from him. And through the person and work of Jesus, he's done everything necessary for you to enter into relationship with him, to receive life and life eternal If you've never encountered God, if you've never put your faith and trust in him and received this gift of eternal life, I want to invite you to do so as we sing this final song. If you're watching this online, then there are hosts uh, online who will be able to pray with you and speak with you if you like to do that. So I want to encourage you to respond as we sing this last song together.